You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. My name's Colin Kelly and as always, once more, I'm joined on the show by my co-host here, Doug Moore. And uh, as always, it is my pleasure to have him aboard the show and uh, usually we take a little bit of time to introduce our guest. We're going to get straight into it here on today's show. Joined by Matt Caraccio. Uh, some of you will know him on Twitter as Matty underscore OS. Uh, part of the Saturday to Sunday uh, website over there. And great podcast that they do. Kind of looking into more so the college prospects. And you know this is the perfect time of year to, to do that. As we ramp up towards the draft. Just after the combine with so many pro days happening. And he has a, a very very great in-depth knowledge of uh, the prospects coming up and uh, you know I I don't pretend to uh, know everything about the guys coming into the league I this is the time of year where I really start to dig into them after the the Super Bowl so I always love getting guys on to to talk about stuff that I always uh, learn more and more so uh, Matt thanks for jumping aboard the show well guys thank you so much I I I really can't begin to describe how how honored I am and really privileged I am to to share the air with you guys and um, I'm really looking forward to, to give whatever whatever context or insight I can, but uh, just like you guys, I'm watching the same tape, and uh, you know, hopefully I can compare notes with you guys and we can see where this class really is at. And uh, obviously, uh, just to pull back the curtain, prior to recording this podcast, uh, we had a, a couple of minutes delay because Doug was uh, leaving work, but the other delay could have been a lot longer, and that would have been down to my fault. Uh, obviously, we record the podcast uh, usually 5 p.m. Eastern uh, each and every week, depending on what day. It's a different day usually, but around the same time. And that usually coincides with it being 10 p.m. here in Ireland, but uh, obviously the time with daylight savings time changed over this past weekend, and I just didn't uh, bother to to look that up. hadn't seen it on Twitter, hadn't seen it anywhere, and um, thankfully Doug uh, let me know that uh, the time to record the podcast had arrived. So got this everything set up, and here we are. So I uh, toast uh, a little Corona extra here as we uh, record the podcast to uh, daylight savings time. And this last week has been a lot of fun. Uh, MFL 10s, I'll be starting up in my fantasyleague.com. I've had a lot of fun uh, doing some drafting on there. And we'll be talking about it maybe a little bit later on in the show. But this week, uh, part of uh, Scott Fish's new league, Capitalist Pigs 2. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, there's a, a great group chat going on as well with uh, lots of, lots of uh, back and forth shots being had at each other. But it's an auction league. Uh, obviously, this one has 54 teams. There's four copies of each and every player in the NFL done in an auction format so we'll be doing this pretty much from last week probably to very close uh, to to midway through the nfl offseason so a lot of fun there scott obviously is a great commissioner with a lot of great leagues and uh, another dynamic dynasty league that he has got going but uh, a great group that are in there all 54 of them i may add and uh, it's been a lot of fun so i guess i'll, I'll do a toast to them as well <laughs> But obviously, uh, as we start the podcast, I'd like to obviously uh, thank everyone for tuning in and listening in. You can find us uh, on Twitter uh, at Overtime Ireland, Doug's on Twitter at the More NFL, and of course the podcast can be streamed on OvertimeIreland.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the great ways to listen to the show. Uh, so I always like to, to thank everyone for tuning in at the very start. 
I also want to give a plug to our partnership to our friends at NFL Shop Europe. They have given our listeners a code for 10% off all orders on their website. They have pretty much any NFL gear you want to get uh, sorted for your team, whether it is maybe it's something to hold your beer, uh, keep your hand nice and toasty and keep your beer nice and cold. They have sleeves for bottles, sleeves for cans and so on if you want to do that. They have uh, baseball hats with all the NFL teams on it, lots of t-shirts and obviously the NFL jerseys, lots of merchandise on there and game balls and so on and so forth. So check them out. You get 10% off if you use this code OTI10 at checkout. That is OTI10 at checkout for 10% off all items and all orders on their website. Their website is europe.nflshop.com. That is europe.nflshop.com. Last week's guest was uh, Mike Huggenen. We talked with him about a lot of the draft prospects and people coming in to this class. But we got his kind of takeaways from the combine and his highlights of it. But is there anything that, uh, in particular from the combine or maybe even some of these pro days that have been going on over the last couple of days, Matt, that uh, really has struck a chord with you and think you think needs to be highlighted? Um, well, I mean, you know, when you reflect that back on the, the combine, I think that the number one name that comes to mind, at least in terms of the skill position players, uh, really was for me Mike Williams, because I think everybody really coincides today with his pro day. We were trying to really see what would he test in terms of his speed. I mean, when you look at Mike Williams and you're talking about a player that's almost 6'3", pretty much standing about almost 220 pounds, give or take. You're looking for to see what that speed is going to be. I mean, there are certain thresholds in terms of wide receivers that you want to see. You'd like to see him. I mean, the average wide receiver is about a, a 4 five, one. So we were interested to see today what his pro day would kind of yield in terms of his 40 time. And it, it actually was pretty good. It came out as a 4 five, five, And, you know, for the most part, we understand that that's hand-timed um, or laser-timed. It could be one or the other. But Either way, we know that the that the pro day is always a little is going to be a little bit faster than what you would see at the combine. So I think give or take, you're talking about a player who is at four six or just a shade under four six, which is probably around what we thought Mike Williams would be. Um, I think those question marks and boxes needed to be checked in terms of his actual straight line speed. So it was nice to see that he kind of came in today at his pro day you know, putting in the numbers that we wanted to see. Um, because I think that was a concern at this combine as far as the skill positions where uh, he was a player that we were definitely interested in seeing how he would test today. So that was that was one player that came to mind. And I think the biggest guy that really jumped out to me in terms of the overall combine performance, I really – again, I've been a fan of him for a while, so, I mean, I won't, I won't bore people with this um, – but I really was excited to see how Evan Ingram turned in his, his uh, combine because, I mean, you know, when you're talking about a six foot three athlete, 234 pounds, you know, you look at what he was able to accomplish, you know, in the drills and in testing. I mean, this is a guy who ran a 4.42, you know, his, he had a 36-inch vertical jump. He had a 10-foot, over 10-foot broad jump, you know, and in terms of his – you know, three-cone drill, he actually came in at 6.92, which was really nice. I mean, he, he put up great numbers. So, I mean, I was really excited to see Evan Ingram kind of show that athleticism that I think a lot of a lot of draft analysts kind of sat there and said, you know, is he really going to be a Jordan Reed-like type clone, or are we looking at somebody that's a little bit more like, you know, I, I guess the best comp would be, are we looking more at like somebody like a Ryan Griffin, per se? And, um, 
I think we're looking at a player for, for sure that, that comps very nicely to Jordan Reed. And I'm very interested to see, you know, how his, uh, how his career kind of plays out. So those were the two guys that really jumped to mind in terms of recent events. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned Ingram there. And the, I mentioned last week that I thought this tight end class had the potential to be, you know, possibly one of the greatest tight end draft classes that we've seen, particularly in the last kind of 25 years. There's so much talent, so much depth. Uh, outside of uh, Ingram, is there anyone that you are particularly high on? Um, and do you agree with that, that this you know could be one of the, the all-time tight end classes coming out? Yeah, I mean, my over at the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast, uh, uh, Paul, for the most part throughout the entire season over the last year and the last two years, we thought that the real headliners were really this, this incoming tight end class. I mean, the running back class is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. A lot of talent there, but a lot of top up, you know, top end, upper echelon talent, whereas the tight end class, I think, offers that upper echelon talent. And then there's, there's not just depth, there's high-end depth depth that isn't, hasn't even been really scratched in terms of their potential. I mean, just to give you a few names that if I were looking at the tight end class spot you, guys that I think that have promising kind of pro careers ahead of them. I mean, John U. Smith is a very interesting player from Florida International. Bucky Hodges, is he going to be very Jimmy Graham-like, or are we talking about maybe a Travis Kelsey-esque type of receiver? Um, again, let me let me say this again. It's not it's not because of their blocking ability. Talking purely as a receiving capability. Evan Ingram, David Njoku, is he really the next version of the next combination tight end that could come out and really kind of wow you know the NFL in the future? Because I don't think he's ready right now, but I do think eventually he's ready. I mean, Gerald Everett, O.J. Howard, Adam Shaheen, uh, Michael Roberts. I mean, and then if you dig even more, George Kittle. Right, Jeremy Sprinkle, Eric Salpert, if you're looking for a pure receiving tight end. Jake Butt, Jordan Leggett. I mean, these are guys that, I mean, the tight end class goes seriously on and on in terms of potential tight ends that can really make an impact at the next level. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at this this class, you, you talk about all these different players, especially at the tight end position. You know, you talk about them as, you know, their capabilities as a receiver and then as a a blocker and I think the thing is is that um, you know we've seen some of the top tight ends in this class uh, you know I think even drive down the value in some of the NFL free agents you know you look at Martellus Bennett he didn't necessarily get the money that he was expecting or at least reports said he was going to get I know Jared Cook uh, we're on the air right now but Jared Cook I think there's a report out that Jared Cook just signed with the uh, the Raiders. Yep. So it'll be interesting yep. to see how much he signs for. Um, you know, you look at uh, Jack Doyle. You know, you look at some of these guys, and it's hard to imagine how much more money they could have made if it wasn't such a strong class of tight ends, like you mentioned. So, you know, I, I think it's just really interesting because you mentioned a lot of these guys, and, and a lot of them aren't really talked about. We talk about the top end guys. We talk about O.J. Howard. We talk about David Noku. We talk about... Um, you know, Evan Ingram, we talk about Jake Budd even, but, you know, there's so many other guys. Adam Fasheen is now getting some notice. Jonu Smith, who's more known for his instant than his play, you know, and then you have other guys like Jordan Leggett, who I think would be a top five tight end in any other normal class. So it's really interesting to see. I'm glad you brought up that point uh, because I think like, uh, you know, like Thomas said as well, this could really be the position that uh, you're going to get the guys who could start day one, but also draft them on day three. So it'll be interesting to see. 
Yeah, and, and just to add a, a great point to that, Doug, and I think you really are, are bringing it full circle. I mean, the one thing I would temper is a little bit of enthusiasm, and I think you kind of alluded to it. The other task that these guys need to be able to do to get on the field, unless they have an elite trait set as being a wide receiver, is these guys are going to have to learn how to block. Yep. You know? And, and that's Always the, big the same thing. with tight ends. I mean, yep. Yeah. And you know what? The systems are very complicated, Colm. I mean, like, it's not exactly, yep. you know, I'm running the same stretch play I've been running, you know, for the last two years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to involve a little bit of power. There's going to be a little bit of man-on-man. There's going to be a little bit more reach blocking. If you're more of a guy coming from, let's say, Alabama, you've done a little bit of everything, like O.J. Howard. But you noticed if I actually had a chance to really watch the drills during the combine, and there was a couple times where he's attacking the bag on a very basic drill, and he falls stepped. You know, you got to get vertical. You got to drive into that defensive tackle or defensive end, and you've got to be able to get some movement. You know, at the line of scrimmage, and a lot of these guys are going to find that their technique is going to be really scrutinized. And unless you have that elite um, skill set as a receiver, you know, I think it's going to be hard for some teams to overlook their deficiencies initially. There's going to be some development time. So I think that I think that this class is. It's almost like an ETA of 2018, if yep. that kind of makes sense, yep. rather than 2017. But I do think that there's a ton of ton of top shelf talent at this position. I agree. I agree, and I agree. When people obviously when the tight end position comes in, you know, you see running backs come in, and I think the running back position is probably the easiest position to come in and have success because you can open up lanes and just say you need to hit that gap and off you go. But when you know certain wide receivers can get you know certain plays that's going to be open for them, whether it's a deep shot, whether it's something across the middle, maybe you only know three or four routes at that stage of your career but as a tight end you're going to you need to block and then if there's audibles at the line of scrimmage maybe from a pass that you think you're going out on a five yard out and then you have to come and block for a certain gap or a certain run all that has to be taken into account and when you're at the nfl level things happen so quickly as i i think it's one of the toughest positions to go from college to the nfl in particular so i think we'll see a take time again for these guys as we often do with tight ends to develop but i just think with the natural ability and with kind of there's a huge amount of speed and obviously at the tight end position we often see big guys who can block but just the, the speed and versatility that could potentially be in this class uh, has me really excited for the tight end position you guys kind of touched on it there with the the tight ends as well but with the depth of this class i think similarly like the free agent market for tight ends has been a bit slower maybe uh, kind of capped as uh, salaries have gone and contracts have been given out i think it's similar for the running backs we've seen it being a bit a little bit slower to develop um today or last night Latavius Murray signed with the Vikings we've seen Lacey going to the Seahawks but it has taken a little bit slower and the the contracts that have been given out again have been a little bit less do you think that again is down to the depth of this uh, class I, I mean I certainly think so I mean for example I think when you look at a player like Eddie Lacey for example even though he had a you know I mean a one-year deal 5.5 million dollar deal with Seattle I mean, you look at that deal, and in a, in a vacuum, you can understand where it's a little bit of a prove-it-to-me type of situation. But in the same respect, I think that's also a reflection of just how deep this class is at running back in terms of producing players that can do what Eddie Lacy might be able to do for a team. Why not take some Maje P. Ryan? Why not dig deep and take a player? Uh, why not take Deonta Foreman? Why not go even further and say, you know, I, I think I get a little bit more athleticism, but I get the same power with the Jamal Williams, BYU. I think that that's a great point, Tom. I think that that's exactly the type of thing we're seeing in free agency, especially at, at positions like the running back. Yeah, I've heard it a few places, too, where it's been suggested. A lot that- of players. 
I've heard it a few places too that it has been suggested kind of in that market that you could get one a player for one year, maybe like an Adrian Peterson if you pay him six or seven million dollars this year, where you could get uh, a rookie coming in that that there is going to be his first four or five years in the league. So you know, going with how teams have valued running back over the, the last number of years, I think that's a similar thing to dig into. Obviously, with this class, and we talked it last week with Mike as well. There, there's been no kind of outstanding quarterback in the class as such. Uh, obviously, around this time of year, there kind of can be a hype around some players and they start to build up and by the time the draft comes around we can see them going you know in the top 10 picks is there somebody that you think could emerge and go into that kind of range or do you think we're looking at kind of you know a mid to late first round quarterback maybe similar to when uh, EJ Manuel went to the Bills although that was kind of looks like a huge mistake by them now the same year as Geno Smith came out and went to the Jets do you see it's been kind of a similar year to that for the quarterback position well, I, I think you I think you raise a lot of interesting perspectives because honestly I wouldn't call myself you know a, a, a draft scientist. Yeah. I don't necessarily study the value of every pick, and I, and I couldn't really I couldn't really tell you over the last ten years how many picks went to what. Did. But one thing I do know is that quarterbacks are always driven up the board just yeah. because it's such a, a primary position on the football field. And free agency, you know, Kirk Cousins obviously stayed home, but you look at like Mike Lennon, Brian Hoyer, Nick Foles, Matt Barkley. You look at players that are still on sign, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, like you said, Geno Smith. I mean, do you, do, you, do you feel like the free agency class is offering you that much more than Kaiser, Trubisky, or Mahomes? I mean, for that reason, I think that there's an opportunity to maybe get a stopgap quarterback, let's say, in the free agency market, but then you could see a, a team still elevate the stock of a quarterback and maybe side of the top 10, but I, 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 I just think the top 10 may be a little too rich this year. I think maybe we're going to see the quarterback go outside of the top 10, but it's only because I, I firmly believe that when you look at this quarterback class, I see a lot of guys outside of, let's say, you know, uh, Deshaun Watson for me. I still see a lot of guys whose ceilings are really high, but I think there's a lot of work to get there. And I don't know how much development time you're going to afford a first-round draft pick. So I think every team is going to be trying to drive down the price of the quarterbacks as much as they can to maybe give them a little bit of development time to get these guys going. Because I don't know how many of these guys are ready to step on the field day one. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you brought up a good point, you know. The, the the market for, for quarterbacks, especially in the NFL right now, you know, it's been very slow moving. You look at, uh, you know, Mike Glenn, he got a lot of – what people think is a lot of money, but when you compare it to the rest of the quarterbacks deal, it's really on the lower end of, of quarterbacks. And, and you know, a lot of things go in that salary cap and, and the rising of it and then also just options and incentives and stuff like that. But, you know, like you said, you know, I think it's the same thing with running backs. We, we saw Eddie Lacy signed a one-year deal. You know, Mike Glennon, for example, his year, his year deal, but essentially, from what I understand, it's really only a one-year deal, uh, or at least they're on the hook for one year. You know, th- there's an opportunity for some of these guys, you know, and I'll be the first to admit, like you, I don't think there's any top 10 talent in this class in regards to quarterbacks. There could be some that could turn into a good quarterback, but I'm not ready. I wouldn't bank on any of them being top 10 worthy. So I think it's a situation where some might be willing to risk, you know, spending high draft capital. I'm sorry, little delete that <laughs> draft capital uh, on, you know, a young quarterback who it may cost them a first rounder, but you know, you get four years, maybe five years, you pick up their option, and it's a lot 
cheaper than what you would pay these quarterbacks. When you look at a guy like, you know, Mike Glenn, who makes it's going to be about $15 million a year when you break down his contract. Uh, so I, I think it's just another thing. But I don't think we've really seen a very inspiring quarterback class that has more than two or three maybe uh, prospects that could be really good. I mean, you look at last year, you know, the guy that succeeded the best out of all of them, he wasn't hyped as a first-round pick. He was a fifth-round uh, – actually, guys, hold on a second. Was Prescott a fourth or a fifth-round pick? A fifth, I think. Fourth. Was, I think he was a fourth. Okay. So so you look at a guy – all right, you can delete all that. Yeah, call. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but you look at a guy, you know, the guy who probably succeeded the most or had the most successful rookie quarterback year was a fourth-round guy, a guy picked on D3. So you never know what you're going to get. You're never going to know what the scenario is because, you know, it's just hard to tell. But I just think that we haven't seen many strong quarterback classes. But I think it almost comes down to the point of money nowadays. Is it worth a guy, you know, spending this kind of money on a stopgap or at least investing in a guy, you know, high draft capital but low salary cap hit over the next, you know, three, four, five years? Um, You know, even if he may not turn into something as well as we could have hoped for yeah, just because it's cheaper. So it's just really tough to gauge what's going to happen uh, because, like you said, it's always going to be overblown. If I had it my way, I don't think there are actually any real first-round draft uh, draft prospects at the quarterback position, but because of the position itself, it's going to be driven up. So that, that's sort of what I would say on that, but much agreeing to what you said, Matt, on, on the quarterbacks there. Yeah, I think I agree there as well. And, uh, Doug, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but... Uh, Tom Brady was a sixth round draft pick <laughs> when we're talking about rounds of uh, getting quarterbacks late. But uh, when we yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't believe he was a sixth round pick though because Bill Polian said he was a first round pick in his book. I was so just I, I don't know. I was just joking. And obviously, he's gone on to be uh, the greatest quarterback of all time. But um, when we're looking at just a, a couple more questions before we get into the free agency, you know, this class obviously there's Miles Garrett at the top of it who I think will. I think pretty much guaranteed to be the number one overall pick, but pretty deep uh, on the defensive side of the ball too, particularly defensive backs. I've heard a lot of people saying that it's very, very weak at certain positions, including offensive tackle, and we've seen some of the money in free agency again being given to offensive tackle. So again, it ties into the can you get them in the draft or can you get them through free agency, and we've seen that kind of work both ways. The offensive tackle market has been pretty high uh, and a lot of money given out there. But is there any cl- positions that you think are uh, particularly strong that you want to mention or particularly Weak, uh, maybe that offensive tackle side of it. Well, I mean, I think you already hit the nail on the head in terms of the offensive side of the football. I think the offensive tackle position doesn't really a lot offer a lot in terms of tackles. I do think, though, you have several guys that are that are like almost hybrid players that can play across the offensive line and maybe give you some stopgap support right. in various areas. You know, I, so I, I think that I don't, I don't necessarily see this, you know, standout, you know, left tackle, right tackle slash uh, tackle of the future for a team necessarily sitting in this class. But I, I do think that there, you know, are, are several intriguing guys. And it's funny, I have, I had, you know, I just happened to have to talk about this the other night. And there were guys that just, like, for example, Deion Dawkins from Temple. You know, he's six foot four, 314 pounds. You know, and in terms of what he brings to the table, I mean, he's got 35-inch arms. I mean, let's just stop for a moment, right? 35-inch <laughs> arms. I mean, Crazy. Forget, forget buying a suit, right? This guy, yeah. if you like, you know, this guy, if you get buying a suit, that's going to be trouble enough. But, I mean, he's going to cause a lot of problems for really anybody, um, you know, across the offensive line. And where he sits best, 
I mean, you know, it's still up for debate. There are plenty of teams that see him as a tackle prospect, and that's where he belongs. But there are others that say, you know, he may have to move inside. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of players like that. So I think offensive tackle itself, that position, is very light. But I do think that there are players that can play across the offensive line and maybe give you some stopgap support. Um, one guy, and one the last guy that this is maybe a personal favorite of mine, but I like Ethan Pochich from LSU. I think he's you know, six foot six, 310 pounds, and he actually plays center, and he can play guard. And he's a guy that I just, you know, I, I really like what he brings to the table. He looked really good at the senior role, really was able to stalemate, you know, defenders on their rush really well. He got a, he really had a nice, nice, like, base when he actually set up, and he showed a good ability to really kind of stunt and stalemate players at the line of scrimmage. And when you're playing from the center position and you have that one hand on the ground, one hand up, man, that's that's hard. That's that's, that's really hard to take yeah. on, like, a nose tackle or a shaded nose. So. He really showed some really, really great ability. So I, I really like him. I hope he goes somewhere good. But I think the favorite position for me, I think the strongest position is obviously defensive back. Cornerback is just stacked. I mean, there is just so many players. And I think all throughout, I think that's going to be the, the, the position that's going to be heavily drafted. And I mean that I could see teams taking two or three of that position throughout the draft. You know, I mean, I just, I mean, forget Marlon Humphreys from Alabama. I, I A guy who's really close to my heart. You know, his previous white from LSU. I really like the way he plays the game. I mean, there's just so many cornerbacks that I think you can go up and down the line from rounds one through seven, and I think you can get a quality cornerback that's going to really challenge the incumbents on your on your depth chart. Yeah, no, I, I, I have to agree. I think the strongest position in this draft, uh, at least on the defensive side of the ball, is definitely their, their defensive back. You know, you, you talked about it. There, there are guys in, in, that are going to be drafted in all – seven rounds that really could challenge not only for a roster spot, which is hard for, you know, say round six, round seven guys, but, you know, even undrafted free agents, there are going to be guys that are priorities uh, to people assigned, you know, and it could come in and still make rosters, even though they weren't drafted, you know, it's very hot top heavy, but it's also extremely, you know, in depth. And you look at it, even after the injury of say Sidney Jones, who's now going to be probably a bargain if, if he does recover uh, at least you know 80% from his Achilles injury because he's probably going to go round two, round three now. But there are guys that, right. you know, even our people are – there's so many guys in this draft that people are going to n- naturally talk down about them to try and push up somebody that they like more. So you look at, you know, I, I think there are guys in this draft, and you talk about Marlon Humphreys. You know, you look at um, Marshawn Lattimore, who I think is the number yep. one cornerback in this class. But people are going to argue and say, oh, well, Sidney Jones, you know, before injury was – or, um, you know, the other uh, Ohio State quarterback, Garyan Conley, I believe his name is. Um, so th- there's so many different guys in, in that position that are going to, I think, like you said, it's going to be, I think you could see probably 10, 15 of them between cornerback and safety drafted, if not more than that, in the first two rounds, which is like at least one every four picks or something like that. I will say, though, that the, the other weak position for me besides offensive tackle, inside linebacker. I think it's an mm-hmm. extreme – it's a very yeah. – there's no depth to it. There's there's obviously Buster, who is far and away the top inside linebacker in this draft. But then you look at guys like Zach Cunningham, who I think could be a, a fringe round one guy, and I think he's I think he's pretty good. But, you know, the, he, it's really hard when he is that number two guy for them just because I think they would be in a normal draft. I think he'd be like a number three or number four. But even so, after that – there may not be a guy who's worth drafting on day two. Maybe Gerard Davis, um, 
but you know there's just not many that are worth drafting uh, before day three, in my opinion, at least, whether it's injuries or just play or scheme. And it's really hard because you, you look at, you know, some of these inside linebackers that are now getting looked at. Zach Brown, you look at Sean Spence, uh, Dante Hightower just got re-signed. So th- there's just guys that are probably going to get overpaid. I wouldn't say about Hightower, but they are going to be guys that get overpaid, like an offensive tackle where somehow Matt Khalil is making five years, $55 million. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know right. how. That's crazy. Uh, well, you look at um, whatever uh, – I don't even know who it is, but the guy who just got signed by the Chargers um, to whatever money, that's ridiculous as well. So I think it's going to be an overpaid position because it's just such a weak uh, class. I still think there are guys that are worth you know, drafting who could turn into better than what what they're probably going to get drafted at. But the problem is, is that there's just so many question marks about the class. There may only be one true linebacker. Uh, and not counting edge rushers, that could be drafted in round one if you look at just Ruben Foster. It's just a very, very weak class where I don't think there's many guys that you can count on day one that you want to draft and fill the position to start week one for you. So that's just my take on on the other probably weak position, which I'm sure offensive tackle and inside linebacker are probably the two most when it comes to weak classes. And uh, Doug mentioned a few yes. free agent signings there, obviously, and uh, we're going to go in a bit now into free agency and what has happened over the last week in the NFL. Obviously, we recorded last Thursday, I believe it was as well, recording this one Thursday, and just running through some of the stuff that happened over the past few weeks. Uh, just shortly after we recorded last week, Doug, uh, Brock Osweiler and the Browns, that trade went down, and it was a pretty interesting one to see the Browns obviously acquiring Osweiler from the Texans. Uh, they also got a 2018 second-round pick, and uh, they swapped... Uh, sixth round picks as well so or, or give their sixth and got a fourth so it's it's gonna be interesting they take on the cap hit of 16 million from the houston Texans. we're going to get your thoughts in a minute doug on uh, branton cooks obviously going to the patriots they acquired him for uh, their first round pick this year and rex burkhead as well obviously ending up with the patriots which is an interesting move i know we had uh, fantasy mansion on a few weeks ago and we were talking about the possibility and dream landing spots for burkhead and uh, the patriots was one that uh, we came up with in that one. It's a one-year deal with him uh, to the Patriots. Eddie Lacey, I mentioned earlier, to the Seahawks. Obviously, had a, a huge amount of weight issues last year at the Packers. Obviously, we talked about P90X. He uh, had a lot of injuries. His ankle has been bothersome to him. He had a surgery towards the end of the season, but he signed with Seattle. We'll see how he does up there. And then, obviously, two wide receivers getting one-year contracts. I was surprised at how many one-year contracts were given out over the past week. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey to the Eagles and Terrell Pryor getting a one-year deal as well with uh, the Washington Redskins. The other signing I was very happy about this week, I was disappointed when uh, Jared Cook wasn't going to re-sign with the Packers. Obviously, Doug has mentioned at the start of the show that he's, he's going to the Raiders now, but uh, I was quite pleased about 15 minutes later after that Cook news came out that uh, <laughs> Martellus Bennett was going to jump to the Packers, so they've signed him on a three-year contract. A signing that I'm very interested in as well is Deshaun Jackson going to the Buccaneers. I think he's someone who can stretch the field for the Bucks and give some help opposite Mike Evans, I'm interested to see what he can do there with Jameis Winston. Uh, Kenny Britt has been stuck in purgatory with the Rams for the majority of his career, and uh, he now goes to another team, a franchise that hasn't done too hot over the last kind of 10, 15, 20 years even, uh, but I think they're poised for some uh, potential growth now in the next year and a half with the moves that they've made through acquiring draft picks and what they've done to their roster, and that is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Glennon, as Doug mentioned earlier, to the Bucks as well, 16 million of guarantees in year one for him it's gonna be interesting to see what happens but pretty much a stopgap unless he really uh, does something to shine this year in chicago 
that's kind of the ones I've picked out, obviously, there as well. Uh, Jared Cook to the Raiders as well. The tight end position is a nice uh, upgrade for them, I think, over Clive Walford. I think he could be a key piece. And as we were recording, uh, I'm doing a lot of MFL 10 drafts uh, this week, and uh, there's a draft in the 19th round, and I've just uh, picked up Jared Cook. So I think that could be a potential value come later in the season. But out of all those ones, and I think Doug will probably want to talk about Burkhead and Cook, so I might let him go first. But then we're going to circle back, and uh, I'll give you the floor, Matt, after that to uh, see what free agency moves you thought were particularly interesting in the last week. So going a little bit rapid fire, but I'm going to give Doug now the floor to talk about uh, the Patriots moves over the, the last kind of kind of six to eight days. Uh, yeah, so uh, one one thing real quick is I will mention uh, another deal that got made today, not with the Patriots, but it was overnight, and I think he's a guy to be overdrafted now. That's Latavius Murray went to the Way Vikings for three years. Way overdrafted. Not a foul. He's going from one of, the, one, one of the best offensive lines in the game to arguably the worst in the game, and uh, yeah. it's not nearly the offense that, that uh, Oakland is. I think he's a guy who's going to be very volume dependent, and I think he's going to be overdrafted. And uh, he is in the early running uh, for my Matt Jones of 2017. He's so, with the, he, yeah, he he could be my Matt Jones. And Matt, if you don't know how much I hate Matt Jones, you should listen to <laughs> he, some he, of the. He uh, doesn't like Matt Jones. I do not like Matt Jones, and uh, I I won't tell you why now, but I could. But because no, he going sucks. into these. Well, yeah, I mean, that's easy to say, but I can elaborate more. You also, I just want to point out real quick, the way you describe the, the Kenny Britt sign to the Cleveland Browns is probably the most complimentative way you could ever talk about the Cleveland Browns. I know, but I, you I've, talked been, for like, I've been uh, quite complimentary, complimentary to them over the last kind of, I don't know, maybe six weeks. I think they've been making really good no, moves. No, 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 I, I agree. I think that they made good moves, but I think you were probably more positive about the Browns than even the front office was when you just described them. So I just wanted closet to point that out. It was very fans. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Closet. Um, no, but talking about Brandon cooks, I'll start off with Brandon cooks. I think he's obviously the bigger acquisition though. Burkhead isn't far behind. I don't think and I'll explain yeah. why uh, Brandon cooks. Obviously the, the team draft gave away a lot of draft capital for him. The Patriots that is, I've, I've never seen them in the, I, I think in the past 15 years ever traded number one, uh, a first round draft pick for a player. Um, I've seen them get first round picks for players that they've traded away, but not when it comes to giving up Brandon cooks. And maybe I'm forgetting, but this is certainly something this is unorthodox for the Patriots. Um, Brandon cooks has one more year in his deal. He does have a fifth year option in 2018, which unless the teams, uh, the sides do uh, work out a long-term deal. Uh, I see him playing under a fifth year option. So realistically, He's going to be with the team at least two years, I think. Um, now, the thing with Brandon Cooks is it probably, and I probably am a broken record because a lot of people also said this as well, I think he's probably going to be their number one guy after 2017 because I think that Julian Edelman, who's going to be a free agent after next season, probably won't be back unless he does take a discount. And I think the reason being is that Brandon Cooks is a dynamic receiver. You can add that out, hopefully. Um <laughs> But he's a dynamic receiver who, you know, can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. He's obviously a guy who can take the top off of defenses. And uh, I think it was just a situation where I don't think the Saints were gonna were gonna pay him after drafting, uh, you know, Michael Thomas and how well he's done, and then also just uh, Willie Sneed moving forward with him as well. So it was just hard to see them, especially with their cap situation. So I, I think that he could thrive really well. Brandon Cook said is. 
in New England. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be on the field. Um, I think he'll take away some snaps from Chris Hogan, who does play on the outside. He plays the X receiver position for them. Um, I think he'll fit in Cooks. That is, uh, you know, downfield, but also be able to play out of the slot. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to get a lot of looks, especially um, you know, with how pass oriented this team is. Um, I think he could be a guy who's going to who could be a top twenty wide receiver. Uh, next year in terms of fantasy but it's a really interesting trade but I think it's also a really really good one for for Tom Brady because I think he's gonna have another weapon who really is a true deep threat after seeing what Chris Hogan could do when he wasn't that traditional deep threat seeing what he could do I can only imagine what happens when he has the type of talent that uh that Cooks has uh on his side Burkhead interestingly enough he was given a lot of money for a running back, especially for a Patriots running back. You saw what they did with LeGarrette Blunt last year. They signed him to a million-dollar contract, which isn't a lot of money after he came off of hip uh, surgery. And I think it was pretty late in the offseason. And then he went off and, and, you know, no big deal, led the league in rushing touchdowns last year and also was top five in, in rushing attempts. Burkhead, he's more that jack-of-all-trades guy. I think that's what I coined him the other day, uh, writing an article about him. He's going to be a guy who's going to – you know, he can play on first, second down as, as a you know runner, but also he can play receiver. He can, you know, run out of the backfield. He can line up in the slot sometimes. Very underutilized in, in, in Cincinnati, and that's the Patriots' specialty is taking guys that are underutilized and, and putting them in a role that they'll succeed. Um, but I think also he's going to be a guy who can play on special teams, not, not as a, re- a returner or anything like that, but he's just really a guy who could be on the field realistically for 90% of the touches, or not for touches, but – on the field for 90% of the snaps between all three phases of the game. He's going to be a guy, a similar mold to James White on third down, but also maybe get some rushing work in. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know what the Patriots are playing in regards to that primary two-down thumper role that they usually have in LeGarrette Blunt, whether they re-sign him or draft a guy like Perrine, Foreman, Williams, uh, one of those guys in in, uh, the draft. So I think Burkhead could have some PPR value depending on how it shapes up in training camp and just what more additions they make to running back. But don't don't sleep on him in regards to fantasy for 2017. No, well, I, I'm a big Burkhead believer, and I was hoping he would obviously move out from uh, Cincinnati. But I think uh, the hype that's around him at the moment is pretty much ridiculous. Um, uh, drafting them MFL 10s, you know, the best ball leagues over the last couple of weeks. And at the start of this week, I seen him go as late as the 20th round in drafts. And uh, yesterday, after the news broke, I seen him taken with the second pick in the tenth round. So I think uh, by the time the wow. season starts, it's going to really get out of, get out of control. I think he has a possibility to get some more rushing attempts than people expect. I definitely think he can catch balls out of the backfield. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out with uh, James White and obviously Dion Lewis there as well, because both very good pass catching running backs. I think he has a potential to get a little bit more of a workload in the run game. I think uh, maybe people aren't expecting that as much. A lot of, uh, and I'm not a Cooks fan either, but I think it's an interesting fit in New England I think he's obviously a very very good player but he's not somebody at the hype that he's going to be going and drafts that'll end up in too many of my rosters this season Matt uh, all those free agents and things I hit on or maybe I missed out on something is there anything that you want to talk about with the the free agent moves of the last week maybe some players you like the Lantern spot or maybe dislike yeah actually just to piggyback off of what uh, you and Doug were just talking about in terms of the Patriots I mean you know I could see the Patriots in the draft like we were talking about instead of going back to the well maybe with LeGarrette Blunt even though Blunt was fantastic I could see a guy like James Conner going to the Patriots very late 
he's a player who's very much a one cut downhill type of runner. He's a player I think would be interesting in that scheme if they're going to use Rex Burkhead and Dion Lewis and et cetera out of the backfield as a change of pace back. I could see them really going after a guy maybe like that. Maybe they wait. Maybe a guy like Gallman, who had a, a really not a great combine at all, falls. Maybe he's a guy that they go after. So, I mean, I, I really think that, you know, the Burkhead signing is very interesting because you just never know what they're going to do with their backfield. And I think they've shown over the course of time that how inconsequential their backfield is in terms of not necessarily being important to their success. I mean, James White can speak to that in the Super Bowl. But, I mean, in the sense that they, they have a lot of interchangeable parts. As long as the primary guy heading the helm of the ship is, is Tom Brady, everything is good to go. But I think Brandon Cooks was a really interesting signing. I like Brandon Cooks as far as what he brings tactically and schematically to an offense. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe, you know, he's a – you know, that's where I think the lines between – you know, fantasy and reality, we all get blurred because we enjoy football so much that we want our fantasy teams to look like, you know, real football. Yeah. But sometimes there are guys like Brandon Cook that just add dimensionality to an offense that really can't be explained in fantasy points. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, you know? I agree. And I, I really I, like Brandon Cook. It's similar to yep. what I mentioned with Deshaun Jackson as well. I think the way that he will help the scheme, uh, you know, in Tampa Bay, I think that's the reason that that's so fascinating of a move by them, and I think it helps them. So I do think that people try and balance fantasy and reality, and some people don't really care about reality football sometimes now, uh, what happens on the field as long as their players are scoring fantasy points, but all these things have to be taken into account. Um, obviously, I mentioned as well with uh, the one-year deals to uh, Jeffrey and Pryor, quite a few running backs as well picking up one-year deals. Have you been surprised at uh, the markets? And obviously, people say the players are betting on themselves. I'm a big Alshon Jeffrey fan. Uh, hopefully, he can stay healthy this season. I think that's obviously been the, the problem with him over the years is his health rather than his ability. But you can't really do much if you're not on the field. But have you been surprised at how many one-year contracts have been given out uh, this offseason in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're we're in a situation now where I think, you know, teams are starting to learn, or not learn, I think they knew this already. I mean, I don't want to say, <laughs> I certainly don't have any inside information. But I mean, like, I think teams are recognizing that in terms of the wide receivers, that position is beginning to be a position that you can build more consistently through the draft, you know, provided that, you know, you make smart choices in terms of the teams that you draft wide receivers from. Because I think that the consistency, or at least schematically, some of the consistencies between the types of offenses they run in college and in the NFL, that gap isn't closed, but it's closing. So I think the, the, the time to field, you know, the ETA time on a lot of these guys is beginning to, you know, is beginning to close. And I think players are becoming a little bit more, you know, uh, teams are becoming a little bit more aware of that. You know, I mean, we just talked about Alshon Jeffrey, Terrell Pryor, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, guys that jump out to be Brandon Marshall, Robert Woods. He's a 23-year-old guy that I think is interesting. He's going to go to the L.A. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. You know, but he's a player. Cordell Patterson, you know, Ritters, you're looking yeah. at all these players. Yeah, yeah, Patterson. But, hey, like, Cordero Patterson, you're looking at these guys, and, you know, you're wondering, you know, how come they're getting all these one-year deals? And I think that's just because the NFL is saying to themselves, you know, if we're talking about an average player or a guy, why not go to the draft and get a guy guy who we may not have to coach as much because maybe he already has expansive enough route tree to match our system and maybe there's an opportunity for us to build with him and maybe save a little money somewhere else it could be an opportunity and also i'm not really sure that this wide receiver free agency class is really that decorated out two or three main guys brandon marshall alshon jeffrey Terrell Pryor, his ceiling 
is is still there. I mean, you know, we'll see where he goes. And the same thing is true, I think, in all the positional groups on the skill side of the ball. You know, Le'Veon Bell, we'll see Latavius Murray. I mean, all these guys, there's really not a lot of high 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 caliber elite talent that was available yeah. in terms of offensive skill position players. So I think people are building through the draft this year. They're saying, let's just go get a young guy. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, uh, a lot of interesting information as well. And that's what we hope to provide to the listeners in each and every show. And, you know, I mentioned at the start of the show, you do the Saturday to Sunday football podcast as well. And you're part of the team at Inside the Pylon. Uh, you're on Twitter at Matty underscore OS. But is there anything that you've got coming up uh, prior to the draft, of course, that uh, you want to give a plug out to while you're on? Yeah, I mean, if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast, it's really a podcast that focuses a lot more on the college prospects, players as they develop from incoming freshmen all the way through college. If you're looking to listen to some shows to get a feel for what we're about, I can't recommend enough our our Gear Buster series that we started. Um, It was a series of shows that highlighted the running back position, wide receiver position, quarterback, tight end, so on and so forth. And and what we really tried to do was really take a class and and kind of break it down into tiers. And we really tried to develop those tiers so that they transcended, you know, just rankings. We wanted to look at what would a tier one player be, Uh, not only fantasy team, what would that mean if we're looking at the running back position. So we we really tried to work hard on those shows to to realize these incoming players. And, um, you know, I think they're great to check out and we're doing our divisional series right now we're you know nfl franchises and we're kind of giving a, a thumbnail sketch of what their draft kind of agenda or or their war room kind of protocol might look like so they're they're definitely great we, we're really excited we're, we're trying to get as much information out there as we can and of course just sharing everything because we don't we don't know anything like anybody else we're, we're really just trying to share you know we're trying to share our passion and you know we're all trying to read you know, the tea leaves, so to speak, and, and yeah. see what we think. So, you know, I, I'm really, guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a tremendous privilege. I mean, you guys, this podcast is one of the is one of the staples, to be very honest with you, in terms of those podcasts that talks about fantasy um, and regular just football X's and O's, as well as just having fun. So I, it was such a privilege to just be on it. Thank you so much. Honestly, I can't, I can't say thank you enough. Yeah, we always try and blend the two together, and sometimes it can be hard, but uh, it is a lot of fun, and uh, that is what we try and do here as well. So definitely check out that. It's a great series going on, and you know a lot of our listeners as well are, are dynasty uh, fantasy football players, so getting ready for the draft and knowing what these rookies are going to be doing as we come into the season, looking ahead, and we'll find out their landing spots, obviously, in the draft. But thanks to Matt for jumping aboard the show. Obviously, I'm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Doug's on Twitter at DMore NFL. Stay tuned to both those feeds for all the stuff we've got going on and of course until we're back keep spreading the word of the show and have a good one thank you for listening to the overtime ireland american football podcast please follow us on twitter at overtime ireland check out overtimeireland.com and continue to spread the word this has been an overtime ireland production